All right, so here we are with episode number 18. And today we have Dr. Nikki Marie. We're going to be talking about personal and business growth as always. So thank you, Dr. Nikki. How are you doing today? Hey, thank you. I'm still getting used to the doctor part. <laughs> That's so exciting. And we've been planning this for a couple uh, weeks, probably months, but finally she's done with the PhD. So here we are. And I am absolutely thrilled to be here. Super excited. That weight has been lifted off my shoulders and I was able to send out that email and say, hey, I'm ready. You woke up. Here I am world again. Freedom, right? <laughs> found. Was lost and now I'm found. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and jump in. Uh, let's get started by telling the audience a little bit about your uh, your background. And right now you got a couple projects going on, but your main focus has been into this new, I mean, you got Bayou Time since a couple years now, right? I've been at the helm of Bayou Time Babysitting and Nannies for oh seven years, since yes. 2009. So 2009, I started the company and then we were not operational for a year. So in 2010, I started getting phone calls and people were saying, well, how does this work? And I thought to myself, well, I don't know. How does it work? So we figured it out really, really quickly. <laughs> And uh, we've been just growing ever since. Wonderful. And, and of course, that's a babysitting agency. Tell us more about the company. So we're a boutique babysitting and nanny agency. We started off in 2009, as I said, as a babysitting agency. We started picking up clients in 2010 for football season. Some of our first, very first clients we still retain to this day. We still have relationships with them. To this day, we have had families that moved away across the country. We still have relationships with them. And so we like to say that we're a big family and even with our staff, our staff members were a big family. I don't hold my staff members back from, you know, pursuing their goals or dreams. In fact, we, we encourage it. And then impossible innovations. That's something more uh, in the past three, four years? Yes. So in 2012, I graduated with my certificate in prosthetics from the Feinberg School of Medicine in Chicago at Northwestern University. And since then, I've just been doing uh, veterinary prosthetics on the side. And working with dogs, and I've looked at a cat, I've been approached to do a peacock, I've put a leg on Molly the Pony, which was kind of one of my crowning moments, because she was such an inspiration to me. And yeah, it's just, I have a backlog of animals right now across the country that need prosthetics, and I'm going to work with them in the very near future. Now that I'm finished with the PhD, everything had had to get put on hold with the prosthetics, but I'm ready to gear up and hit it hard again. Now, before we jump into business itself, more on that personal source. So you do have a love, of course, for kids and babies and also pets. So you're doing what you love, but now you turn that into a business. Yes. So I think children, animals, and we're missing a few things there in the scope of everything. And so the best way that I can sum it up for y'all is that what I am passionate about is protecting innocence. It's protecting innocence. And you think about all the things that are innocent in the world, and that's children, and that's animals, because neither have a voice, but what else is innocent? Are the elderly? That's innocent. And then you look at the people that have mental disabilities and physical disabilities and can't help themselves. You think about people that are locked in and they can't help themselves, but they know everything that's going on. And where's their voice? Somebody needs to be a voice for them too. That's that's what I'm passionate about, is helping and protecting innocence. Yeah, and that, that passion comes from 
definitely some experiences in the past, some voids that you saw in society. And can you share more about that? Sure. So let's see. Growing up, I grew up on a farm in Wisconsin. And so that's the animal aspect of it. I grew up with animals and been training dogs for, oh gosh, since I was seven. So 30 wow. years now. <laughs> it's been a long time. And I've always been around animals. I've always had an animal with me. Pile of animals at my house right now. How many? <laughs> I have six, six dogs. Two of them are fosters. And then I have my mom's two dogs. So that's eight dogs in my house right now. And they're all the way from four and a half pounds to 94 pounds. And then I've got five cats at my boyfriend's house. Um, all three of his dogs are actually my fault too. So <laughs> um, he has three. And then there's two cats that came out of, uh, because of the recent flood here in Baton Rouge, they came out of a flooded house. And I ended up out of 13 cats out of that house, I ended up with 10. I sent two to a farm, one to Northern Wisconsin to a family, five to rescue in the Midwest. And I still have two that are waiting adoption right here, right now. So um, two in my shop. So what is that? tally up that's 11 dogs and seven cats that i currently feed and we care for right now that's amazing so, i love it i love it no i don't have the problem I, I don't have a problem i guess i have an addiction for animals <laughs> but i just visited a lady in kentwood yesterday taking her some supplies because she hasn't had a lot of help and she has 57 dogs 25 cats and six kittens and i got out of my car and i just sat on the ground and i was like Oh, through my arms, I found dogs everywhere all over me. It was so fantastic. Oh my gosh, it was great. So anyways. <laughs> you have some pictures of, of that day? Maybe some? some I have some pictures okay, okay. from, you know, some specific dogs that okay. I that I took. So. Sweet. I'm just going to um, see if we can add that in the show notes here. <laughs> you got it. All right. So you grew up in a farm. Then, of course, you have this family of pet and yes yeah, so my family fell on hard times my parents were divorced when i was well, maybe 11 and um there was some personal loss as far as my mom was concerned and you know from there we ended up moving from place to place to place and we ended up eventually in charleston south carolina um she moved us down there the summer before my senior year in high school and um, I missed out on my whole senior year with the kids I'd been with my whole life. And so that was heartbreaking. But at the same time, I look back on it and it was such a good move by my mom <laughs> to get me out of there. You know, I hated her at the time for it. And I look back on it and I couldn't thank her enough. So just to get me out of that environment, show me something else, show me the world, show me something different and pique my interest to see new things and do new stuff and find new adventures and I always loved that about my mom. And so that was great. We don't have the, we have a good relationship. We haven't always had the best relationship. And so it's like anything else, relationships are kind of an ebb and flow kind of thing. And so there was a time that we didn't talk for quite a while. And I ended up, after I split up with my boyfriend in 2005, in the summer, I ended up not having anywhere to live. And so I was sleeping on her couch and in her tiny little home. And then I was sleeping on my friend's couch and, um, I didn't have anywhere to, I had nowhere to go. I had my clothes and stuff in my car. I had my Doberman at the time, my adopted Doberman <laughs> in a kennel and I just adopted him and I was waiting to get into an apartment that would take my dog. And I finally got into one. And that first night I had a futon mattress and my best, my best friend, Tiffany gave me a blanket. I still I have this quilt to this day. I refuse. It's tattered and torn. And I refuse to get rid of it because she gave it to me. And that's all I had that first night. And I lay down on that futon mattress with my dog and we curled up 
own place for the first time, and that's where we rested our heads for five and a half years. During that time that followed that and that summer, and I, and I have to backtrack a little bit earlier that summer in 2005, what kind of led up to all of this is that my golden retriever of 13 years, Bucky Roo, he died. He was just eaten up with cancer, and I had him euthanized one morning, and he died with his head in my hands and a ball in his mouth. And it was just something, I was 25, and just something snapped, something clicked in my brain. And it was like I just, like I woke up at that exact moment. I woke up, and it was just like this something fire ignited in me. And I was like, what are you doing with yourself, Nikki? What are you doing with your life? And firm believer in God, I'm a, I'm a Christian, and I believe that God will have his way with you, and you're not always going to understand why he's doing it, and it's not always going to turn out pretty or beautiful or wonderful, and he's going to put you in some really hard situations. He's always going to pull you through, and if you're willing to put the work in, he's willing to reward. So that being said, shortly after my dog died, and that morning I actually started a brand new job, and so I put my dog down that morning, and then I went and started my new job because you always leave your personal life at home. And I had to have the job. I needed it. I needed it. So I kept it all in. You know, when I came home, I had his collar in my hands and I was just like, break down at home. About a week later, I split up with my boyfriend and that left me pretty much without a home. <laughs> and um, I had my job and I had my dog, my foster Doberman. And that was about all I had. And we were homeless and hungry. And I started that fire ignited in me. I thought to myself, I'm going to go back to school and be a veterinarian. And so I went back to apply to College of Charleston. I had already had one degree from College of Charleston. I graduated in 2001 with a degree in music. I sang opera. I don't sound like it right now. Oh, so you were not playing when you say that earlier, huh? Yeah, right, right, right. So yes, I do sing. Um, okay. <laughs> I sang opera and jazz for about four and a half years. I've done the national anthem in front of thousands and thousands of people and stuff. And it just, I, 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 it's something I enjoy. It's not something that I don't think I was passionate enough about that I felt like I could really make a big impact. And um, I just kind of floated along. But when I applied, I went back to school, to College of Charleston. They accepted me immediately. And, and this is the thing about God, too, is when you're on the right path, even though it's not the easiest path, sometimes, sometimes like, you know, the waters just, they part. <laughs> they part, and it just allows you to walk right through. Um, instead of having to build a bridge to go over or getting a boat or... or anything, you know, finding your way through. They just part and College of Charleston took me back right away. They credited, they took a bunch of my old credits and they put that on my account. I got my financial aid and it's when I got my financial aid that I got my apartment. <laughs> and that kind of kept me alive for a while, but I ended up um, working very, very hard. I had an unreliable vehicle and when it broke down, I was a rep for a medical records company and so I had to scan records. And I had an old laptop at this point in time. It's like, what, 2001, 2002? And so, you know, the laptops were bigger back then. These little teeny tiny things you carry on your hip. <laughs> so I'd put the laptop and the scanner in my backpack and my school books and a change of clothes. And I would ride my bike. And so I lived about 16 miles from downtown Charleston. And I would ride my bike both ways, round trip about 36 to 40 miles a day in 100 degree weather and I would go to work and I would park my bike away from wherever I was working and lock it up and I would go and walk in. Nobody ever knew and so I used things to my advantage 
when I was hungry. I would go very last thing at night because I worked at night a lot at the hospital. And all the cafeteria ladies knew me. And so I would go down right before they'd take the stuff off the line and I'd order like the veggie plate. And so you could get four sides for a very little small amount of money and especially with your employee discount. I think it worked out to something like a dollar thirty-six. And usually that's about all the change I had <laughs> could scrounge up. And uh they would just load this thing up because they were gonna throw all the food away anyways. And they would just load this whole thing up. And so I did that a couple of times a week. And I ate on that for like two or three days, just that. And that's what I would eat because I didn't have money. I didn't have anything. And so, yeah, I know what it's like to be hungry. I know what it's like to not have anywhere to live. I know what it's like to not have. And I know what it's like to want. But I also know what it's like to have an unwavering work ethic and to have something worth living for and worth fighting for. And I think sometimes that's all that really kept me going. Wow. Wow. I just got to take a quick minute just to, I don't know, just to swallow all of this. Because I think this is really the reason why we do what we do here with the show Exponential Growth. And some people say, well, you have the show and pretty much the stories, you're asking the same questions. But here is a perfect example that not like there's no stories that there's no way to compare what Nikki just told us in, in, in this couple minutes. And I guess there are thousands of more details about your life, but this is the perfect example on how there's no one way or another. I mean, it's a path of discovery, passion, and you resilience and overcoming challenges. So I love, love, love the nature, the reality that we're having here in the show. So I just want to take a second to uh, highlight that. Thank you so much. Yeah. Homeless to PhD in <laughs> 12, 12 years, no job to job prospect really to business owner and successful one at that in 12 years and a lot can change. So 2001 music, then 2005, you well, said? Well, I went back to school in the fall of 2005. I graduated in 2008 with a degree in biology, concentration in molecular biology. And during that time I had gained undergraduate research experience in astrophysics and neuroscience. And then what made you decide after that, even though, well, well, let me ask you about the entrepreneurial spirit, even though it's very clear that you have a need, that you have a drive to right. get something done, why you decided to say, okay, I got to do this no matter what and be an entrepreneur. It's funny. I didn't know what an entrepreneur was until I think I moved to Baton Rouge. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't even think that word was in my vocabulary. I was like, my dad owned a business, my mom owned a business, and I just knew there were business owners. But I never knew that that was something that I wanted to do. And it just kind of happened by mistake. The, the one thing that I kept running into time and time and time and time again, because I've done everything under the sun. I mean, I've sold cars. I worked in logistics, freight forwarding for shipping companies and payroll for a trucking company. And I've done retail and I've done this and I've done that. And I mean, I've done everything. So I know what I don't like to do. I know what I don't like to do. And the thing I kept running into is that I have a problem with authority. <laughs> <laughs> I have a problem with authority. And I just never liked, it was never good enough the way that they were doing it. I always wanted to make it better. And I never recognized that. And nobody ever recognized that as something that was a beneficial thing. Everybody always kind of frowned down upon that. And um, I always pushed back. And so I would change jobs. Let me go try this. Let me see if I like it. Let me go try that. Let me see if I like it. And I was always open and willing to try new things. Always. New food. I mean, heck, I would go out on dates with people I wasn't even 
remotely attracted to or whatever, just because I'm like, you know what? Well, you never know. Maybe I'm going to find an interesting person or a really good friend in this person. You never, ever, ever know unless you try. So that curiosity led you to then, okay, you're doing this on your own, you're leading, you're making things better and finding how to solve problems and making solutions. But then why the PhD, which was another time commitment, and <laughs> even though you already found right. a way of doing what you love, why deciding to... Well, right. So I applied to 10 different veterinary schools, and I didn't get into any of them. So ready and willing to go and do, I'm thinking to myself, well, what else? Because I do want to research my brother. My brother, Jeremy, is PhD. He's a computer science encryption specialist something he's at Norwich University and he's been this this rock in my life and he's just always pushed me towards my goals I mean, even though he might not think he does he does and he's always been this great influence because the guy's such a brain he's such a genius yeah older oh you're he's older you? okay yeah, he's older and he's such a genius I don't, and I always thought you know, I can't ever live up to this guy he's so smart he's so ridiculously smart but I can do that too I can do that too and I thought, well, what's another way to get a doctorate degree? And I thought, well, I could get it for my PhD like Jeremy did. And I can go pick up the veterinary degree on the back end. And so I thought, oh, well, it's only going to take me about three, four years. And then I'll just go to vet school after that and roll through. And everything was going great. And then there were some things that happened at LSU, an advisor change. And then there were funding issues. And then there was this. And then there was that. And so eight years later, here I am graduating. <laughs> wow. So, you know, and I wouldn't have it any other way because the journey was worth it. It was the people that I met along the way, the struggles that I had to overcome. And I learned a lot during the eight years here. And I think Baton Rouge, a lot of people say, are you, do you, are you going to stay in Baton Rouge? And I say, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, I actually I am because Baton Rouge, the business climate here is, it's not hot and it's not cold. It's, I like to say it's lukewarm, it's temperate. People here in Baton Rouge have allowed me to do something that I don't think I could have done in Charleston. I don't think I could have done in Milwaukee. I couldn't have done in New Orleans. It's the right environment for people that want to do a, have a startup that needs support, that need a mentor, because the people in industry here are open arms. They're willing to say, yeah, I can introduce you to that person if you're willing to ask. Yeah, we can help. Here's somebody I know. Here's a referral. Here's a reference. I mean, I've never seen so many BNI chapters in my life. <laughs> <laughs> it's just astounding and the network and the people everybody's connected here it's the, the biggest little town you'd ever you'd ever know so of course yeah I'm going to stay right here because a lot of my connections are here yeah I might talk to people in India I might talk to people halfway across the country and network that there but this is home base this is home base and I can find everything I need right here or I can get everything I need right here in Baton Rouge. That's wonderful. I'm excited about that. Before we close the first segment, and, and Craig is going to cover a couple other topics, let's do the five, five questions real quick about the business model. Do it. The, the money. <laughs> <laughs> let's start with your business model. So let's talk about the, the agency first, and real quick, we can talk about the, the impossible. So the business model, geez. That's a great question. <laughs> to be more specific, so for the agency, it's at uh, you have a couple employees, something like more like a, uh, like a marketplace. Right. I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. So no, we're uh, we're LLC, single owner LLC. We I have six full time employees. One and a half are in the office. I have seven part time employees, and most all of them are nannies. One of my full time people is split as a part time nanny and a part time in my office. And then another part-time person we just hired. 
So she's actually one of our best nannies. So we promote from within. We love that because then the people know the business model. And the rest of everybody are contractors. And so between at any point in time, we have between 30 to 50 people working with us. We have hot and cold, like we like to say, hot and cold running babysitters and nannies. So usually when we have, I want to say a cancellation or somebody needs a day off, we have somebody that can step right, right in and take over. Everybody's screened, qualified. They go through us. They work for the agency. They don't work for directly for the clients. They get paid by us. They're covered by our insurance. They're covered by the company. And we take care of everything. We have sophisticated time clock software. We geotag them when they clock in, when they clock out, so we know where they're supposed to be, when they're supposed to be there. And we take care of everything for our clients. And so that's one of our main goals is to make having the best babysitters and nannies available easy for our clients while also keeping our number one priority in mind, which is always the safety and security of the children. Because if the children aren't safe and secure, we're not doing our jobs and we should absolutely not be in this industry. Wow. Well, you can tell our listeners that we're talking to a doctor here. So this is pretty amazing. Not only inspirational content, very, very practical content that you guys can take note about this business model. So what I'm thinking, and hopefully she say yes, because she's a doctor and she's busy, but maybe we do a second episode where we just cover all about imp impossible innovations. Is that cool? Uh, that would be awesome. <laughs> Yo, I've never done this, but I'm going to invite her right away on the spot for a second episode but so then you got the business model that's the the agency model next will be how do you guys make money so how do we make money so we have basic babysitting fees and so babysitters are on an as-needed basis our nannies are on a more permanent basis and that's contract based so for our babysitters we pay them a percentage our babysitters are contractors and so we can't pay them an hourly rate per se but we can pay them a percentage of what they work um, on top of that, we have fees, booking fees, travel fees if we have to go outside of the Baton Rouge area very far, terribly far. So we'll go to Prairieville. We'll go to some areas in Central. We'll go to Geismar. That's that's pretty easy. We'll go to some areas if it's close in like Gonzales. We might go out there. But usually anywhere else, it's a just a one-hour travel fee. Let's see, what else can I tell you? So as far as the nannies are concerned, we do a contract basis and we guarantee our nannies part-time nannies at least 20 hours per week and our full-time nannies at least 32 hours per week. And so that guarantee allows us to keep some of the best people with our company for hopefully, you know, for us for a long period of time. So you think about it, then that doesn't come from just anywhere. I've just got sick of seeing my mom battered around from job to job to job. People saying, oh yeah, well, we're going to use you for full-time or we're going to use you for part-time. And then one day, you know, one week she works 32 hours and the next week she's down to 20 and then the next week she's down to 12 and then she doesn't have a job anymore. And that's not, that's not fair. When you have good people and you have people with a good work ethic, you keep them around. How do you do that? We do that by giving them a guarantee. And whether or not they work those 20 hours or those 32 hours, if our families don't schedule them for that, they still get paid for it. Now, if they're late, that's something different. If they're late or they miss a day based on something they need to do, that's on them. They're not guaranteed that. We do have very strict set of rules, but we have our placement fees and we charge for miles traveled. And we take, of course, a percentage off the top of that to cover all of our overhead expenses and our office payroll and what have you. So I guess you're going to probably get too gross and uh, what we've been doing. I'll just kind of, because that kind of moves right in that direction. And so the first year, I think in 2010, when we did make money, it was just the fall. And I think we did maybe... At that point in time, we were just taking booking fees. And so the business model has just evolved and it's constantly evolving. And we, we take um, employee and client feedback and we actively 
integrate that into what we do every single day because that's, I mean, how you build a successful business as far as I'm concerned. Totally. So the first year we did um, about $240 and that was just in booking fees. And then the second year we were in the thousands in just booking fees. And year after year, we've always historically almost doubled doubled everything. And now this year, we surpassed last year's gross in June. I haven't looked at our numbers because I've been incredibly busy. <laughs> so be astounded. But usually between the months of August to December, we double what we've done for the previous few or for the previous part of the year. So basically, you're looking at an eight to four ratio. So in four months, we usually double what we've done That's phenomenal. that year. And so we're looking at, I'm thinking of I projected $350,000 this year. I think it is probably going to be closer to four hundred dollars or over this year. Fantastic. There you go. Wonderful. Next M, it's market. Then we're going to hit the management and mentors. That's something that Craig can cover about the mentorship. So market, who, who's your target market here? And Okay, so our target market is any parent that needs reliable babysitting. For the children, single moms that need a mommy's day out that need to go get groceries, even married mommies that need to go out and get some groceries or have a lunch date and have an adult conversation. <laughs> I mean, we don't all want to be talking jibber-jabber all the time. It fries your brain. Every once in a while, it's good to have a, an adult conversation with somebody on your level. And so that's one of our markets. Date night is super important. We like to stress the importance of date night in a successful marriage or a successful relationship. So... We do stress date night. That's a perfect opportunity to sign up, register with the company. But then as far as nannies are concerned, our main clientele, I want to say about 95% of our clientele or families have a physician in the family. So you think about doctors. Doctors are very, very, very busy. They need that support. They need that support on the back end to help their kids get home from school. When their kids are sick, you think about a physician. They're treating sick people who's going to take care of their children at home. And so when the kids get sick, they give us a call. We pick their kids up from school. We're there for them on the weekends. We're there after they have a baby. We're there in the middle of the night when they need a good night's sleep so they can perform well at their job the next day. So that's what we do. We're all-encompassing. We offer creative solutions. We can work with just about any schedule. We can do just, I mean, we can do just about anything. So <laughs> it's, we don't, I don't put limitations on, on myself or my company or anything. You put limitations on something and you just really, uh, you hurt yourself. That's outstanding. Uh, well, everyone, like I say, I do uh, stay tuned for the next episode with Nikki. That's going to be part two. But Craig is going to take over for the management aspect, uh, managing the team, and also mentorship and some other topics. Thank you, Nikki. Thank you. Fantastic. Wow, Nikki. I'd like to jump right in. It seems like you must have feel like you have lived two or three lifetimes by now because you have so much life experience. It seems like a very rich life to this point. You know, I don't really look back. Just keep looking forward. I'm always looking to the future. So take those experiences and hold them close and keep plowing forward. There's a lot of work to be done still. Where do you think that depth comes from? I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I, I guess I've always been a, a curious a curious person. I was a curious kid. I never fully understood anything until it was broken down into the very basic pieces. 
And I always wanted to know where that came from. I wanted all of the, the, the fullest of the answers. I wanted the complete story. I was never satisfied with just taking somebody's word for it. That was, I think that was always me. I was always a little bit bossy. And you know what they say about bossy girls, they end up bosses. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and I don't know, I just, I always did my own thing. I never fit into any click in school and I found my niche, I guess. How important is it to, if you had girls that saw you and said, think that's something I'd like to chase or be similar, how important is it to maintain that curiosity in life to want to? It's vital. It, it, it's essential. It's absolutely essential. If you're not curious in new things, how do you ever develop yourself? How do you, how do you move on to the next thing? How do you, if you're not curious in business, if you're not curious in, for, for me, let's just take an example. I own a babysitting and nanny agency and I could sit there and be stagnant and just, I could have kept offering babysitters, but then my clients kept asking me about nannies. And so I got curious in nannies. Well, what's the difference in a nanny? What's an au pair? What's, what's a live-in? What's, what's the difference? And so I started researching that and then we grew and then we experienced exponential growth. And now we're, now we're looking at adding yet another level of babysitters or not babysitters, but nannies and specialty nannies with certifications for very specific situations, sleep trainers and newborn care specialists. And I anticipate the same. But before we do that, we have to research that. You have to get curious in that. You have to want to find out more about that because Guess who the parents and guess who the people are going to be turning to in industry? They're going to be turning to you at the head of your company. They're going to be turning to your employees that work with you to be the experts, to be the, the person, the go-to person for that. And how can you be the go-to person if you are not up to par on what's going on in industry? And if you're not on the cutting edge of it, you need to get out. Now, it seems all children are naturally curious at a young age, we all are. But where, when, and why do we lose that along the way? That's a good question. And here's what I tell all of the kids. Here's what I tell all of the kids that I work with. And yes, I still do go out and work with the children. And I'll follow that up real quick with, um, I believe if you're in a company, if you own a company, you should never be beneath sweeping the floors. So Humility. <laughs> <laughs> Embrace it. Well... I mean, you gotta you gotta keep it real. You gotta see what everybody else is seeing, and then you have to be able to put yourself in their shoes. So empathy, too. I tell all the kids think about the craziest thing, and we can do this for everybody listening too. It's a great exercise. Think about something impossible. It could be anything. It could be the craziest thing on the planet, and, and in fact, the crazier, the better. The most insane thing, like flying to the moon and seeing purple and pink polka-dotted cows eating turquoise, clover, and huge sunflowers on the dark side of the moon, okay? And, there's, and it's made of cheese, right? Because moon is made of cheese, right? That's what all the kids say. Anyways, so does it exist? Is it possible? And before you answer that question in your mind, before you say anything, before you verbalize it, does it exist and is it possible? Well, let's think about this. Did I just think of it? What did I do? Did you get the picture in your mind? Yes, I had a picture in my mind. I imagined it. 
And you know what? Is it possible? Yes. Nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. Does it exist? Yes, it exists. Where does it exist? It exists in your imagination. Where is it possible? It is possible in your imagination. And even if you cannot think of a way to achieve what you want to achieve right now, if you can't think of it, if the technology doesn't exist, who's to say in a year or 20 years or 50 years or a thousand years that that technology is not going to exist? Who are you to say that that's impossible? And I think that's where we get hung up on is that people get so ingrained in what society feels is normal and acceptable. And people take other people's words for it instead of being curious and going a step further and figuring it out themselves. They're watching the news and they're regurgitating what the commentators are saying without thinking about what they're really saying. I think people stop thinking for themselves and they just accept what's fed to them as truth. And I think that's the fatal flaw. And, and I encourage parents to explore with their children instead of telling them the answer, explore the answer with their children. What do you think? I do this with my employees. What do you think? Come sit in my chair for a minute. Come sit. And I put them in my chair, sit in my chair. What do you think? And a manager, one of my managers come to me and she says, I have this issue. I said, well, figure it out. Come to me with a solution. I'm not going to give it to you. How do you deal with this? Let's talk about it tomorrow. Sleep on it. And with the kids, we do imagine, I do imagination games. If you, this is fun. I tell a lot of kids because you have to have a conversation in the car, right? You've got to have a conversation in the car. So try this next time. You're in the car with your kids. I encourage you or any child or anybody because it's actually a lot of fun. And this can go on for hours if you're on a long road trip. You can ask them the question, preface it all with, I love candy. Do you guys love candy? I love candy. Oh my gosh, it's so delicious. All that sugar, it's fantastic. So I love candy. Could you imagine if everything in the whole world was made of candy? What on earth would that be like? What would it all be? What, what would this table here be? What kind of candy? What kind of candy would this table be if it was candy? Go ahead. What kind of candy would it be? Big Snickers bar. A huge Snickers bar. That's awesome. Gabriel, picture frame. What kind of candy would that be? That's going to be Skittles for me. Skittles. All right. It's made up of Skittles. Go through and then you're going down the road and you're seeing grass. What's that grass going to be? Oh, man, that could be like green taffy. Or what are those trees made of? What about the leaves on the trees? You know, get into detail. What about the butterfly? Oh, that could be like a really thin praline or something or uh, some rock candy or whatever. And just get their mind out of what they normally think of and turn something ordinary into something extraordinary. Okay, I have, I have a topic I think you'd be perfect for. What do the innocent give us? Why are they valuable to the world? They give us happiness. They give us a, a glimpse inside of who we used to be, and they give us a glimpse inside of our soul, and they give us a glimpse inside of what we should strive to get back to. Raw honesty, you ever find a child that wasn't honest? I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're a big guy or a big girl, I mean, kid's going to walk up to you and not know any better and say, oh, you're bigger than my last babysitter. You know, you're bigger than my mom. Why? Because hmm, I ate too much. I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> Tell me, tell me an adult that's going to do that. Yeah. Tell me an adult that's going to do that. But maybe we should. Maybe we should. Why do you want to protect the innocent? 
Because that's our future. That's our future. Those are the, those are the, those children are our future. The elderly, that's our past. The animals, that's our comfort. That's what we have. Where do we find, that's all the good in the world. It's bottled up right in those little teeny tiny sticky fingers and all of their germs and stuff, you know? (laughs) So where's the disconnect between what you believe and what it seems to be where the world is? How come they don't seem to value the innocent as much as you do? I don't know. I don't think they notice it. I mean, I was driving across the Mississippi River Bridge this morning to pick up uh, one of my staff members to take her to work. And um, I saw the moon and Oh man, it was just, it was so beautiful. It was so, it was just this huge harvest moon this morning. Okay. This morning. It is big right now. In the, the in the, (laughs) it's this full moon. It's this huge orange harvest moon. It was, oh, it was gorgeous. And it was, it was going west and it was setting in the way. Oh gosh, it was so beautiful. And then you stop and think about how many people were actually driving across the bridge that recognized it or that how many people driving across that bridge or driving west didn't stop and look at it and stop the thoughts of everything going on in their mind and say, oh my God, that is such a wonderful creation. How beautiful is that? Thank you. Thank you for that. When you point that out to your kids, you point that out to kids and they're going to ask you, what is that moon orange? And you're going to be like, it's made of cheese. <laughs> why, why do you use, or how, how, have it, how has it become that business is your vehicle for your curiosity and protecting the innocent and doing the good that you seem to want to do? I don't know. It just happened that way. It was an accident. Business by accident. I didn't even know I was going into business. When I got to Baton Rouge, I came here for my PhD, and I had been working for a babysitting agency in Charleston for three years. And um, when I got here, I thought to myself, well, I'll do the same thing. I'll work for a babysitting agency. And then when I noticed there wasn't one, I thought, oh, I'll start my own. How hard could it be? (laughs) Well, the rest is history. So, And it's hard enough, but it's it's definitely worthwhile. It's definitely worthwhile. And... um, It's just, it became that way. In the future, I work hard because, not because I want to make money. This is nothing to do with the money. The money, money is a tool. If if you are motivated by money, go find something else to do because you're wasting your time and you're wasting everybody else's time. Go find something you are passionate about. I don't care if you're making millions of dollars and you love to paint. Stop making everybody else's life miserable by doing something you hate. Stop making yourself and everybody else's life miserable. How beautiful would the world actually be if we went and did something we loved and were passionate about? That would be oh, oh, awesome. So <laughs> fantastic. I don't know if any of us have seen the, the Vikings series that has come out. <laughs> what Nikki reminds me of Lagatha. <laughs> I don't know who that is, but I'm going to go Google it. (laughs) Oh, you're going to identify with it. She's the shield maiden that just protects, defends, destroys anything that that attacks our innocent children, village, whatever. Love it. Love it. I love it. Kind of embody her. (laughs) My wife's going to be jealous because (laughs) she has has a girl crush on Lagatha. (laughs) I'm taken. That was an outstanding interview, Nikki. Thank you. You have so much to share, both the 
young girls, uh, young women, fathers. Especially fathers. Yes, you make a great role model for all of us, especially the fathers to say, this is what, this is what your little girl can be. Uh, if she maintains that innocence of curiosity, if you protect her and defend her, this is what can happen. My daddy's so proud. He actually is. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah.